Bring it in. Read option episode 101. Right here. Anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. You know how it is. Uh, first guest we've had on in a while. Shout out my man Dutton Day. Second time on the pod. Talked about it last week. Uh, I went on his pod. I guess that was a couple of weeks ago now. Went on his pod. Did a little home and home. Uh, we talked a bunch of NBA. Uh, got everyone kind of up to speed on the Eastern Conference as well as some some Western Conference talk, some MVP talk, where the Lakers stand now after missing the playoffs. And uh, and so we get into a whole bunch of stuff. Nice 30-minute interview with my man Denton. So this is going to be a pretty short pod, all things considered. Now, there's a couple things I want to hit on here in the open, and then we'll get to Denton Day. All right, first off here, we did a ton on the Masters on uh, Tuesday's show, the 100th episode, because like we said, the Masters is arguably, you know, my favorite sporting event of the year. And the only thing that could get you more hyped up for the Masters was Tiger Woods playing in the Masters. After everything he's gone through, after what the last year plus has been for that guy, Tiger Woods stepped out at Augusta today, played his first legitimate professional competition in almost two years. Uh, I had no idea what to expect. I'll be honest. I don't think anybody did. And I think anybody who felt confident about it saying, oh, there's no way he's physically ready for this. It's Tiger Woods. You're lying to yourself. All right. If you if you honestly believed that there was no chance he was going to play well, then you haven't been watching Tiger Woods for the last 30 years. But if you full heartedly believe that Tiger Woods was going to come out and be the Tiger Woods we've come to know and love over the years, then I'd say you're probably lying to yourself, too. This is Augusta. It's got some of the craziest elevation changes of any golf course in the country, in the world. You're the physical toll alone felt daunting, knowing that Tiger Woods is just a year and a few months removed from a catastrophic knee injury or sorry, leg injury, to the extent that he almost got it amputated. Well, as we're recording this right now, it's 7.30 on Thursday. The first day of the Masters has wrapped, and Tiger Woods is tied for 10th. He shot one under, where the low round of the day was a 67, five under. And other than Sung J.M., who is now the leader right now, who was one of the names we gave out, by the way, Cameron Smith, He's sitting in second, minus four. He got as low as minus six at one point during the round, couldn't hang on. You have Danny Willett, former Masters champion. Uh, not sure how realistic a, a title run for Danny Willett will be. But after those first two, you got minus five, minus four, a couple of minus threes, and a couple of minus twos. And then you're right there at that one under mark. And if you look at the list right now, there's only about 16 or 17 guys in the entire field who are under par. And Tiger Woods is one of them. His putter was unbelievable the entire day. Anything from 10 feet was golden. He hit a ridiculous birdie putt at 16, the famous par three. His scrambling ability was on point. The driver just wasn't really great today. And you could tell that physically he wasn't piping the ball the way that we're used to Tiger Woods piping the ball. And I'm not even talking about like young Tiger. I'm talking about like Tiger Woods of the last couple of years. Tiger Woods who won the Masters in 2019. He was driving the ball 300 plus yards. Tiger's not going to be doing that much this week. But what he can do 
is put the living shit out of it. His short game, everything around the green was ridiculous. He, he powered a couple of chips that were a little too far, but because his putter was so good, he made almost all those putts. He really only had one up and down that wasn't great. He up and down, I think, six or seven holes today. His scrambling was off the charts. If you look at his green and regulations compared to what he shot, the two should not line up. But that's the magic of Tiger Woods. I, I can't tell you how exciting and how awesome it was watching Tiger play today. I mean, we, we had real conversations about the idea that Tiger Woods may never play golf again, let alone be tied in the top 10 at the Masters in an absolutely loaded field. We're seeing Justin Thomas shoot four over. We see uh, John Rahm shoot two over. All right. If, if you look at the names, Roy McIlroy won over, Jordan Spieth won over, Morikawa won over. Talk about the best golfers in the world struggled today. Colin Murkow even mentioned it before the tournament got going, which is that there's going to be more rollout at Augusta than we're used to. Augusta, despite it being difficult, because of this time of year, you can usually kind of attack the pins a little bit. Not today. Once the sun came out, even though it rained two inches over the last two days in Augusta, it dried out. The sun came out. It got hot. The, dream, the greens got firm. It was a hard freaking golf course to play. And credit to Tiger, right? Because this is the brilliance of Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is not only physically the best golfer, arguably of all time, but mentally, he's better than everyone else. Tiger Woods knew how to attack Augusta because he's played hundreds and hundreds of rounds there. Nobody is better at navigating a golf course than Tiger Woods. And so while everyone else is here trying to figure out how it's playing and it's day one, Tiger, while in the middle of this round, was just hitting shot after shot. He hit, I think it was on number 11, one of the most incredible scramble shots I've seen. He's way deep in the pine straw, and he hits an absolute bomb over the trees, gets it right onto the front of the green in a shot that he absolutely shanked his driver. They even said he drop kicked it. You don't see pro golfers drop kicking. So yeah, Tiger's driver's not there, but every other aspect of his game was. He was so good on the greens and nobody knows those greens right now in this competition better than Tiger Woods. Now I'm not going to sit here and say Tiger Woods is going to win the Masters. I don't know how his body's going to hold up. It was very clear. He was slow. He was not 100% navigating physically around the golf course. But if no one's going to step up and, and play amazing golf, if he's four shots within the lead after the first day and he's under par, when the vast majority of the field was either even or over par, I'm not going to rule him out. He was one of the best 10 golfers on the course today. And that's after a year plus of not playing any professional golf, of half the time not even being able to walk. I know that 2019 is, is probably his greatest accomplishment, winning the Masters. But at age 46, coming off what he did, with the history of back problems, going through the transfusion surgery, right? all of this stuff that, that he's overcome, 
this might be the most impressive thing I've ever seen Tiger do. I am aghast at how well he performed today in a situation that I would have never expected him to. It was just great to see him. It was great to see Tiger on the course wearing a great bright pink shirt. It was spectacular. I'm always, always going to root for Tiger because undisputedly in our lifetime, in my lifetime at least, there's never been an athlete that can dominate the way they can, that, that brings the eyes the way Tiger does. If I had been around in my age now during the Jordan era, yeah, I probably would say Michael Jordan, right? But I wasn't. I've been around for Tiger. And at his age, to still be competing the way that he is, to still be beating the world's best the way that he is, and to be in contention at Augusta is unreal. Now, of course, we'll wait until Sunday before we anoint this the greatest achievement of Tiger's career, but it has to be up there. I don't know a single golf fan who wasn't eyes glued to Tiger Woods all day today. How could you not be? I, he hit not one, but two different bump and runs with a six iron. Guys say they don't do that. They're going to hit the little flop shots or they're going to hit a bump and run with a nine and get a little bit more spin. And they're going to flight it to the stick a little bit more and because and, they can generate that spin. But that's the creativity that Augusta takes because it's such a hard fucking golf course. And when you don't get the greens books, when, when you don't get all of the information that most golfers get on tour, all of the information is in Tiger's head. It's not there for anybody else. And now that he's seen the course, and tomorrow, Friday, is supposed to be incredibly windy, which I actually think favors Tiger because the long hitters aren't going to be able to hit it as long. And Tiger can hit his stinger, the Tiger stinger, right? Whether it's with a three iron or three wood, he's going to be hit these little stingers, and he's going to know exactly the right shot to hit. I go back to 13, right? I am in corner, the par three. It's the whole... That, or maybe might be number 12. Either way, it's the hole that most people fuck up on because you have such a tight landing area and based off the pin placement, it's always going to feel a little bit different. Tiger knows that hole. It's the hole that won in the tournament in 2019. And while guys were coming up short, Louis Eustazen came up short into the water, double bogeyed that hole. And Joaquin Neiman who actually played better than Tiger today. Shout out to Joaquin Neiman. He played phenomenally. Even he was in awe. Everybody was in awe. Tiger just gets Augusta. I don't know if this was at Torrey Pines or, or Pebble Beach. And I mean, he's one of both those places. Maybe that's a bad example. But if this was at Beth Page Black, right, for the U.S. Open, I don't know if Tiger looks as good today as he did. I think the fact that Ty Augusta is a safe space, it's a home for him. He goes there. He knows what he's going to get. He knows exactly how to play it, no matter how they set that golf course up. And he's going to play well. Tiger Woods top 10 feels very realistic. And I think after tomorrow's round, we'll see how his body's holding up. He, can get, he got through one round in pretty good shape, felt pretty good. 
if you can get through two rounds like that, the Tiger watch is on, man. I mean, it's on right now, but it, it, it's seriously on at that point. There is no circumstance in which I will doubt that guy. It was incredible. It was honestly one of my favorite things I've watched in sports in a long time. Seeing Tiger Woods, being Tiger Woods at 46 years old at Augusta, after genuinely thinking we may never see this guy play golf again. It's spectacular. And if you have the time today, as you're listening to it, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, carve out a couple hours, watch Tiger. If you appreciate greatness, I'll never forget. I worked with a guy named Jeff Rickard. He was program director right now up at WEEI in Boston. He also uh, was a radio host in Indianapolis. I worked with him a little bit at SiriusXM. He had a great quote. He said to me, he said, I would watch the best person at the world at anything do their craft. The best darts player, the best uh, cow wrangler. I don't, I don't know. Come up with whatever, the best bartender. Come up with a whatever thing. If you're the best at the world, in the world at something, if you're the greatest to ever do it at something, I will watch you do that. And we get to do it with one of the greatest athletes of all time in Tiger Woods. I, I cannot stress this enough. If you have the time, go watch Tiger Woods this weekend. And who knows? No one thought 2019 was possible. So I'm never going to write the dude off. But what I do know is that it does feel like we're setting up for a really interesting Masters. The way that uh, Cameron Smith was playing today, the mullet, the Aussie, I'm so mad at myself for not throwing him out because I love Cameron Smith. And I was really close to going with him as one of my guys. And I didn't. I didn't. And I should have known better. I would have Cameron Smith as my favorite. But Sung J.M., I told you guys about Sung J.M. Dude's a baller. Dude's a baller. And he's really good. I don't know if Danny Willett's going to be able to keep it up. Scotty Scheffler shot three under. Dustin Johnson shot three under. So you got some names at the top. Corey Connors, great player. Sprinkled a little bit on him to win. He's two under. Patrick Cantley. And how about one of my guys, Harry Higgs. What were his odds? I think I, I could pull, I'll, I'll pull them up here. I have my, I have my little notepad up here from, from my picks. Harry Higgs was one of our bets to finish top 20, right? One of Vito's bets. Plus 850 to finish top 20. He's currently one under, tied for 10. Now, the one other caveat I'm going to throw out here, and, and keep this in mind as you watch the golf all weekend, whoever the leader is on the first day, even a lot of guys at the top of the board the first day, rarely end up there. If the wind is as bad as they're projecting it to be on Friday, you're going to see a lot, a lot of scores change. There's going to be some people who can play it low, who are going to have good putting days, and they're going to be able to shoot a relatively decent score, get themselves back in the mix. But if Sung J.M. or Cameron Smith or Danny Willett or Scotty Scheffler, if any of those guys take a big, steep fall off tomorrow on Friday, I wouldn't be shocked. In fact, I kind of almost expect that to happen. Which means when we come into the weekend and the weather turns beautiful, it's going to be anybody's game. You got Harold Varner at one under, Wills Altoris, Tony Finau, obviously Tiger, Daniel Berger, Kevin Nas up there, Cameron Champ, who was another long shot of ours. He's even par. And you're even pars. You even got your Victor Hovlins, right? Mackenzie Hughes, Shane Lowry, uh, Christian Bazindahu, another one of our guys. Bubba Watson's hanging around a plus one, right? Rory's a plus one. Colin Morcala's a plus one. Our man Kiz, he doesn't have a great day. He's three over, but 
he's absolutely still in it. The cut line probably going to end up at about two over if it was right now. I think the cut would be two over. But I do think we're going to see some changes. You still got Brooks hanging around. You got Shoffler hanging around. John Rahm, all these guys, they're right in it. So the rest of this weekend should be spectacular. And I, I for one, cannot, cannot wait. All right. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break. And then on the other side, my man, Denton Day. Uh, worked with him at SiriusXM for years. He has a podcast. He used to do a radio show as well for SportsMap. Uh, but he has a podcast, The Denton Day Show. You can follow him on Twitter, at The Denton Day. Uh, if you're a big WWE fan, we actually opened the interview with a little bit of that, which he is a huge fan. So he kind of fills me in on a little bit of what WrestleMania was like this past weekend. Uh, and uh, we throw in a little bit of NCAA tournament talk there to kick it off. But primarily, we're talking NBA playoffs, the East that's stacked, dark horses in the West, some MVP conversation. And again, what do the Lakers do now? I didn't really go in that much. We get into a little bit in the interview, but. LeBron, a lot of this failure is on your shoulder, bro. A lot of this failure is on your shoulders. So we'll see how it all turns out. Quick break. When we come back at the Denton Day, Denton Day, right after this. All right, we're now welcomed and joined by my good friend from SiriusXM, producing fame, as well as the Denton Day show, his new podcast, out anywhere you get your podcast. It is the one and only Denton Day. My friend, how are you? Gimple, what's going on, man? Good to see you again. Good to talk. I'm excited. We are uh, we're finally outside of college basketball. Now we can get into, uh, you know, discussing good quality basketball. What a time. Yeah, right. I mean, what did you make of the North Carolina collapse, by the way? Because I got some heat on this pod uh, because I said I thought it was the biggest collapse in the history of the NCAA tournament. And other people seem to have been focusing more on Kansas. But to me, I thought UNC really blew that game. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, And the thing is, their style of play caught up to them because they Mm -hmm. ran six guys. And they ran six guys for basically the entirety of the tournament. And, like, you can run six guys in maybe, like, an ACC tournament. You know, you just kind of get through it and muscle through it. But over two or three weeks span, eventually, like these guys, I know they have all these great facilities at UNC and they have, you know, top of the line uh, stuff to take care of their bodies, but like, they're still not pro athletes. They're still just kids at this point. Some of them are still very much growing into their bodies. So, I mean, when you run six guys, this, this is bound to happen. You have to have depth, especially in the championship game. Kansas did UNC did it. And that's why they collapsed. Dude. How about Puff Johnson? Just, straight up puking on the floor. I felt so bad for that. <laughs> he was having the game of his life too. And all time basketball name, Puff Johnson, man, they, uh, they, they worked it hard. Now I also wanted to touch on because I'm not a wrestling guy before, cause we're going to do mainly yeah. NBA talk, but WrestleMania was this weekend. And yeah. uh, I think Pat McAfee alone might be reason enough for me to get back into the WWE because his whole, the Vince McMahon stuff. And then, you know, getting a stunner from uh, Stone Cold afterwards <laughs> with the beer. And he did like the Triple H spit as he's fallen to the ground. But with the beer, it was a, it was an electric factory, dude. How was the whole thing for uh, you as a guy who lives in that world? McAfee is a natural man. You know, he's one of those guys uh, that we all grew up around that's just good at everything. But he's doing it at such a national stage. Great NFL player, 
great talk show host, great pro wrestler. Like there's literally, I mean, I, I don't know if he could sing or not, but there's literally <laughs> nothing this dude can't do. Uh, personally, I would have loved to have him not eat a pin from damn near 80 year old Vince McMahon. That's just like my inner, my inner stuff. But I mean, I can't think of something that's more fun to do as like a grown adult than eat a stunner from Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like that's a bucket list type of thing. And he got to do it on the grandest stage in the industry. I thought WrestleMania was really good compared to the expectations I had, which Mm. were about as rock bottom as I'd ever had for WrestleMania. Oh yeah. I mean, WWE gets on my nerves sometimes with the way they tell stories and some of it is such a jumbled mess, but Pat McAfee was a huge highlight. I love watching him flourish. Uh, It was, so I was really pleased. I was really pleased. That's good to know. That's it. This is the first time we've ever talked about the W we've done over a hundred episodes of this. And this is the first time we've ever brought up WWE on this podcast. I'm popping the charity. You're the per- <laughs> you're the perfect person <laughs> to get it done with. Um, so like I said before, we are going to talk NBA mainly here because we're getting down to the final stretch. For most teams, they have two or three games remaining. Uh, the Eastern Conference, to me, all season, all regular season, has been this fascinating, you know, jambalaya of teams, right? Like it's just. One week, you know, Miami, Boston has their run. Milwaukee's just been constantly through. Philly is the most up-and-down team I think I've ever seen and arguably the worst-looking team that might have a chance to make the NBA Finals I've seen in a while. And then you got this Brooklyn Nets team down there. So my first question to you is, who is the biggest pretender out of that group, right? Because to me, it's those five teams that all everyone thinks has a chance. Who's the biggest pretender out of that group? I think the biggest pretender is the team that's held the top spot the long. I think Miami's a pretender mm. out, out of the, out of the group that you just mentioned. I think Miami is the biggest pretender. I just don't, but the thing is, see, I love Jimmy, right? Like I really like Jimmy Butler and I think Jimmy Butler has, I think he's one of the few guys in the NBA that has the switch where he can be a true closer. The thing is with him, I don't think he has access to that switch as much as a guy like a Kevin Durant or like a Giannis does. Um, So I think I look at Miami and because there's no true superstar and I'm a firm believer, you got to have a, you got to have a real superstar. If you want to make a deep run in the postseason, the days of like the Oh four Pistons, it's just not the case anymore. Today's NBA. So I look at Miami as the pretender of that particular group. Do you get vibes with Miami? Because this is the team that that reminds me of. Do you remember the year Toronto had the one seed with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan? And I know it might be easy (laughs) to just compare because Kyle Lowry's on both teams, but they kind of remind me of that, right? Like Spoh's a great coach. Uh, At the time, they had Dwayne Casey was the head coach of Toronto. And LeBron comes in and swept them in the Eastern Conference Finals on his way to, I think it was like his third straight Eastern or. NBA finals like they remind me a lot of that team and the one difference maker for them is Bam and with how inconsistently he's been held like health wise I just don't think you can rely on them now I also feel similarly about Boston though I do think Tatum is hitting this like superstar bubble where all of a sudden like he's probably going to finish in the top five or six in MVP voting which I still feel is a little yeah I mean like I feel like it's a little bit but he's kind of right on that bubble uh, but without Rob, Robert Williams, I don't see how Boston gets past the second round. I actually, I think I like Boston as my dark horse because Ooh. of Jason Tatum. 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Tatum guy. I'm a big Jalen Brown guy. And I think Marcus Smart is like a perfect combination of a little asshole to, to fuel Boston in like a really tight, you know, because some of these series, right, it really is a game of like swings, right? Like you could be potentially 3-1 or you could be 1-3 to three with like a couple of different plays. I, I like Boston because I'm such a fan of Jason Tatum that I think if he does take, because you're right, he's right on that bubble of like true, true superstar. Like we're talking household name dudes in like Montana wearing Jason Tatum jerseys. <laughs> I think if he takes that step, I think, I think Boston is a scary team in the Eastern conference that could potentially make it to the Eastern conference finals. I would really like to see them. I don't know how the seeds are going to match up. I'd really like to see them play, play Brooklyn at some point. I think that would be a fascinating matchup. I want, I want that to be the, the first round. I, 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 at this point, I guess Brooklyn would need to finish ahead of Cleveland which they're only a game behind in order to make that happen. But with how tight it is, I mean, the difference from fourth and first is still just two and a half games. Philly, Milwaukee are tied. Uh, Boston is only a half game ahead of them. So that two through four could completely change here down the stretch. And there's also a big game between Boston and Milwaukee. Is that tonight? I think that game's tonight. Well, I have um, the schedule pulled up. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it is tonight. Seven So. We're recording this on Thursday, so by the time people are listening, we'll know. But that game is a huge swing for what you know Milwaukee gets. Because I think Milwaukee and Brooklyn would be great. So, all right. So, I think we're on the same page. Miami's probably the biggest pretender. Um, who's who's your pick? Who do you think is the best team in the Eastern Conference as we stand right now? I'm still leaning Milwaukee. I feel they've been weirdly flying under the radar for a team that has Giannis. <laughs> and that won the championship last year. Like, I feel like people were so eager to write them off and they started kind of slow because Middleton started kind of slow. You know, I'm curious to see if he, if he follows suit for what he did in the postseason last year, he had this really, I thought it was really fascinating. He played terrible the first two game of every single series. And then like the final remainder, he just became lights out. It was this weird feeling. It's like when you're old and you got to really stretch out before you can start walking kind of deal. <laughs> That's what Chris Middleton was in the postseason all last year. But I love I love Milwaukee because I trust Giannis. I saw him get to the top of the mountain, and now he's earned that trust. So they're still my pick in the Eastern Conference. But I don't know how anybody can't want um, a series, a run-it-back series between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. I mean, I know television executives are dying for that, but as a fan of the game and seeing how great that was last year, I think everybody should want to see that again. ESPN and TNT have to just be like so pumped, right? Because whether you're getting Brooklyn, Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, or Brooklyn, Philly in the first round, all like all three of those are, are incredible first round matchups. Like, and honestly, I'm amazed that we're not seeing more of this jockeying for position stuff. Right. The fact that Philly, Milwaukee and Boston are all like, no, we're trying to we're clearly trying to win out and win all of our games. And Bede Mm -hmm. is pushing for the MVP. And we're going to get to that in a second. Um, But it's just it's crazy to me that we're sitting here in a situation where Brooklyn still hasn't really gotten their stuff together. And Mm -hmm. I want to take a second to talk about Brooklyn, too, because. The one thing everyone said, right, because we were seeing Kyrie once a week, right, for the most part, maybe two times a week, <laughs> and he would come in and drop 40, you know, 40 points on, like, 15 shots. You know, he would go six of seven for, from three. 
And he would, they would just destroy teams. Like the game against Philly, right? That first time we saw James Harden and Joel get tested, and they just absolutely ran Philly off the court. Well, now we're seeing, oh, yeah, it's a lot harder to play basketball at a high level when you have to do it three or four times a week rather <laughs> than having a week off in between games. So without right. Seth Curry right now with the injury, without Joe Harris, Ben Simmons is not playing a second of NBA basketball this season. I'm convinced of it. How far can Brooklyn realistically go? I mean, they have two of the top 10 players skill-wise in the league, but how, how far can this team go the way they're currently constructed? Yeah, they're they're going to go as far as Kevin Durant takes them. And I'm with you at this point, as much as I would like to see Ben Simmons, because I think the dynamic and what they would ask him to do mixed with what he can do, I think would work really well for Brooklyn. You can't test that out in the postseason. Like this is the, this is the time you've qualified for the play in game. You're getting in. This would be the time to bring him back to see like, can we integrate him? Even if it's just in a small uh, sample size, can we integrate him into what we're doing? I don't think you can put him back on the floor in the postseason. That's doing him a disservice. It's doing your team a disservice because you're messing with, the flow, although, as you mentioned, Brooklyn's flow has been all it's like just a bunch of squiggly line. Like, I don't know <laughs> what their flow has been because they haven't had any consistency. It's pretty on brand. But they for have Kyrie, Kevin Durant. Right. Like Kyrie's brain, exactly, I think, is just a bunch of squiggly lines half the time. Just going all over the place. And that's the nice part about Brooklyn, though. You don't have to rely on Kyrie Irving. You're relying on Kevin Durant. And that's always what this was going to be. It's always what it will be. This is Kevin Durant's team, and Kyrie Irving is by his side, standing tall, trying to be the Batman, but we know it's not the case. If Kevin Durant is healthy, Brooklyn is going to always be in a position to win. I don't care if that's a game, if that's a series, however you want to look at it. If Kevin Durant's healthy, they have a shot. So they're going to go as far as Durant takes him. And we saw last year, even in the absence of James Harden and Kyrie Irving playing against the soon-to-be champs, he can take them pretty far. Yeah. And if Seth, if Seth Curry plays, uh, that team is completely different, right? Because you have to have right. at least two people concentrating on KD at any given moment, not necessarily double teaming him, but having the help defender there at any moment he touches the basketball. And to be honest, you kind of have to do the same thing with Kyrie, who's arguably, I don't know, I don't know how you feel about this. I think Kyrie's the best finisher of a basketball I've ever seen in my life. And, and I grew up a Sixers fan who mm -hmm. loves Allen Iverson, but Kyrie's ability to get to the rim and then finish at any body positioning at any spot is otherworldly. So you have to be concerned about that. And then you have arguably the most efficient three-point shooter in the NBA and Seth Curry, who's going to get wide open corner threes time after time. Uh, right. If he's there, it's a totally different game. But from what we see, it doesn't seem like we'll see Seth Curry unless they make it to the second round. And to do that, they're going to have to beat Boston, Milwaukee, or Philly to kind of get there. So it, it, the whole East is, is fascinating to me. Um, the Western Conference has been a little less uh, competitive, right? It's been pretty – it's been Phoenix the whole time. Phoenix is the clear number one team in basketball. They have been all year. So, for I'm curious for your perspective here, what team has the best shot at knocking them off? What team has the best shot of pulling off the upset? And, and whether it's in the Western Conference Finals or maybe earlier than that, depending on how seedings turn out, who do you like to could potentially beat Phoenix in a series? Well, what's, what's interesting is I actually find the Western Conference a bit more compelling because of Ooh. everything you just said. Phoenix has been far and away the best team. Somebody has to challenge them, right? So who is that team going to be? I love Memphis. 
I've been a John Morant guy really since the get-go. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of people and watch this, like we're going to hear a lot of people on big time platforms. They're going to bring up the youth factor with Memphis. And maybe that does play a bit of a factor, but the thing is they were in the postseason last year and they stood up to who at the time was the best team record wise in Bass in the, in the Utah jazz. Yeah, like they went toe to toe with them. And John Morant had an insane, like you would not have watched that series. I don't think, and thought that's a young, young team. They just didn't have enough talent at the time. I think this year their talent has stepped up tremendously. So I love Memphis, but I also look at Dallas. You know, the conversation we had as it relates to Boston with Jason Tatum, can he take that step to become a that true superstar echelon, you know, household name kind of guy? I think Luca's in that same position. And I think we've seen in the past that Luca is capable of winning games essentially by himself. Can he do it for an entire series? I feel like with him, once the dam cracks, it's going to break. And then this Dallas team is going to have some real potential. And then you always have to look at Denver if they can get healthy. But I mean, look, it's, it's early April right now, like the regular season ends in just a few days. So maybe that's a little bit out of uh, the realm of possibility, but I would watch the Dallas Mavericks with Luca to see what type of, what kind of Luca we see in the postseason and what everybody else on the team does to, to help their superstar. If they get past the first round, I think we could start to see this snowball get rolling down the hill. I love that because I feel the exact same way about Dallas because it, let's be honest. If you put Dallas and Phoenix in a second round series, right? Dallas is the four seed. Phoenix is the one seed. They meet in the second round. Dallas has the best player on the court. No disrespect to Chris Paul, who mm -hmm. I love or Devin Booker, who I love, but Luca is that special. Luca is that good. And for the first time in his career, right. he has something that he's never had, which is shot makers and shot creators around him. Right. I, Perzingis, they tried it. It seemed okay on paper. It never worked out. Spencer Didwitty for them has been ridiculous. He's averaging 20 points a game. And you can, and this is my big fear about Boston. If you double team Jason Tatum, who is hitting that shot? Like, I love Jalen Brown, but Jalen Brown's not a shot maker. He's not a big time. And he might, I mean, who knows? We, we've said the same thing about other players until they've proved us wrong. But they don't have a guy who you reliably count on and trust to handle. Like Derek White's a great point guard, but he hasn't been shooting well at all this season, especially once he made the uh, once the trade happened that sent him to Boston. Now you got Jalen Brunson, who's a great ball handler. You trust Jalen Brunson with the ball, and you have a guy who can score. He's Kyrie-ish. He's not that obviously that good, but Spencer did what he's kind of cut from that same cloth, and that could be enough to get them over a hump if Luca's going absolutely apeshit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think the way that they've, the way that they built that roster and now you don't have that looming Kristaps cloud that seemed to, to bother them in years past. I, I like that. I mean, I guess you can't count the warriors out either. Like, I feel like we should say, Hey, the warriors exist. Yeah. So, but with so, Steph, you know, the warriors I mean, exist. Yeah, with, yeah. Without Steph, I mean, with or fully healthy Steph and with, even. And who knows what we'll get from Draymond as well. So they had such a hot start to the season that it's really carried them to this point. But I mean, there's a potential that Dallas finishes better than the Golden State Warriors did. And it felt like the Warriors are right around 40 wins at the all-star break. And now they sit here with 50, which is just yeah. utterly absurd how bad they've been since then. Um, but if Steph, I mean, if Steph goes into that mode, 
They're going to be a tough team to beat, but I look at Memphis and Dallas as, as the two teams that could two give teams Phoenix the biggest run. Let's talk about a Western Conference team that is not going to be in the playoffs, and that is the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers. All right. Uh, my feelings, especially for anyone who's listened to this podcast, uh, in regards to Russell Westbrook, I've, I've not been subtle. All right. I'll put it that way. I am not yeah. a Russell Westbrook fan, but Russell Westbrook isn't the only problem with this team. And my issue is people revere LeBron, right? LeBron's in this like Taylor Swift and Beyonce level that if you say anything negative about him, you're a hater, you don't respect the king, you don't love greatness. And meanwhile, it feels like he himself was the one that decided to throw this season away. He said, because we know this about LeBron. LeBron's the guy who makes literally everyone around him better. He, he's more kin to Magic Johnson than he is to Michael Jordan. I've been saying that for years, right? He decided, I'm going to average 30 points a game, and I'm going to decide, you know what? This season's a loss. I'm trying to catch Kareem, and that's all I'm worrying about here. Why can't we criticize LeBron? Why is it so taboo to say, LeBron, you're the reason Russell Westbrook is in a Lakers jersey. You don't get to you know, pawn that off onto Palenka. That was your decision. You approved that. You wanted Russ there. You're the one that tweeted out the famous tweet about keep that same energy, right? <laughs> and I'm keeping the same energy, LeBron. I'm just like half of America is. And yet it still feels like he has this cult-like following that if you dump on him, you're not respecting greatness. And I can respect LeBron and also say, you know what, dude, you made a big mistake. And Anthony Davis came in way overweight, not and like bulky weight, not like fat, but like he put on this weight. It completely torched his game and his jump shot. Right. I just, where do the Lakers go from here? I don't know. Well, I don't think they can sink much lower. So I guess they have that <laughs> going for them. Um, I criticize LeBron. I don't, I don't care what the, the little LeBron stands. And to be completely honest, I'm more afraid of the Russell Westbrook stands than I am the, <laughs> That's a good point. the LeBron James stands. Uh, but you mentioned the tweet that he sent. I think I, think I like the, uh, the April Fool's tweet because LeBron has played one game since that April Fool's tweet. So it, it essentially wasn't really that big of an April Fool's joke. Because yeah, now really, there's no reason to bring come out it back. and say that that was an April Fool's joke. Cause I definitely fell for the clickbait, like when he sent it out, but then I was like, wait, I don't see him saying this is April Fool's joke or not. Well, he played, he played that night. He put up yeah. 38, uh, but they lost to the Pelicans by three, which the irony that surrounds that is now the Pelicans are in the postseason. The Lakers are not is beautiful. Like chef's kiss. The thing with the Lakers though, I mean, it's LeBron's fault partially because you're right. He is the one that not only approved the Russell Westbrook, him and Anthony Davis sought out Russell Westbrook and they had that dinner in Los Angeles that somehow wasn't tampering, but with the bulls did with Lonzo and what Miami did with Kyle Lowry was, but whatever they had that dinner to bring Russell Westbrook in when, you know, that's not what the team needs. That's not going to take the team to the next level. It's this weird thing with NBA players where they really sell into names of other NBA players almost more than fans do because the name Russell Westbrook carries this, this weight with it because he's a former MVP and guys in the NBA know that Russ is a dog and he was, and I think he still is a dog, but he's not a top tier superstar anymore, but they don't view him like that because it's like this weird fraternity. He's one of us. So we're not going to look down on him kind of deal. That was silly right from the get-go. It made no sense. They traded away all of the depth to get another superstar that really hadn't been that super in the past few years. They need to, they need to find a way to, uh, you can't blow it up because 
I don't think you want to ditch LeBron at this point if you're the Lakers. You certainly don't want to ditch Anthony Davis if you're the Lakers. You can't. I mean, he's supposed to be your future. But this is a thing that's followed LeBron James. We know that he makes everybody better, but he goes through these cycles with teams where by the time he's done, he has left every single team way worse than he found it. Every, mm. I don't care if it's Cleveland the first time, Miami, Cleveland the second time, now with the Los Angeles Lakers, every team gets worse. Every organization gets worse after he leaves. And that has to be somewhat a part of his legacy. I agree. And, and it's the lack of accountability that I think pisses me off about LeBron, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I understand the on paper, like even the Carmelo signing, I didn't hate. I was like, yeah, Carmelo giving you bench minutes. Like he's not going to play defense, but you need shooting. The fact that he turned right. down a deal that would have sent what, like Taylor Horton Tucker and KCP to Sacramento for Buddy Heald, you know, and you could have kept Alex Caruso and you could have kept all these other guys that were a huge part. And Kuzma. As, and Kuzma. Huge parts as, as to why they were going to go off and, and why they did go off and win a championship in the bubble, which I'm not one of those people that says the bubble championship isn't real. It's just different. It's just something you have to talk about. It's got an asterisk, but it's not like it doesn't count kind of asterisk. I don't I call know. it not real if it's convenient for an argument, but that's <laughs> that's a really good way of putting it. Cause that's probably <laughs> how I use it too. And the thing, but the thing with Russ is like Russ, the Russ is a dog. He still is a dog, but that's been his problem. The whole, his whole career, mm-hmm. he can't be Robin. And at this point right. he has to be. And the whole MVP thing, like I thought it was atrocious that he was on this all 75 team. I thought that was an absolute joke. Like the dude has one MVP that the team manufactured and they, they gave him rebounds in order to achieve this feat. And then he did the next two years and nobody cared that Russell Westbrook averaged a triple double. He actively makes every team he goes to worse, but LeBron's his whole ego and his brain and all this stuff was like, Nope, I need, I need a superstar. I need a superstar, but he picked the absolute worst one with one of the worst contracts in professional sports And I don't know what they do Mm -hmm. from here. Will there be some terrible team that will likely eat up his contract because they're trying to tank? Sure. But we saw with Washington last year that Russell Westbrook, he actually raises your floor because of how hard he plays. And that's something I'll never take away from Russ. He plays his fucking ass off. But if you're a tanking team, you're not going to tank with Russell Westbrook because he's going to go out there and he's going to put up big numbers, even if he's nowhere near the player he was. So at this point with the contract hit and everything else, I feel like the Lakers in a really tough spot. They can't move on from AD. They can't move on from LeBron because they've mortgaged their entire future. I mean, the fact that the Pelicans have like a, I think it's a 24% chance of getting a top four pick this year. That is the Lakers (laughs) pick that they got from the AD trade is insane. And I think it, as you put, I think it absolutely has to be held against his legacy. Um, Just a couple more things here before I let you go. The MVP discussion. Mm-hmm. I obviously have a lot of Sixers fans on my timeline on Twitter, and it's always a terrible idea to assume how everybody thinks based off of Twitter, right? Because Twitter is only a small representation. Right. But I see these tweets get thousands of likes where, and Drew Hanlon, who's the shooting coach from Bede and, and Jason Tatum, he always tweets out things about how great Embiid is, but every single tweet also has a dig at Jokic. And I am a Sixers fan. I want Embiid to win the MVP. I think he's earned it at this point. But if Jokic gets it, I I understand. Jokic is incredible. And the last month, the month of March might be the greatest month of his career. I think Mm -hmm. no question, no matter which way it goes, I'll understand both sides. But why is it that we've come to this point that we can't just 
say, hey, you know what? They're both awesome basketball players. Let's just say that they're both fucking awesome. It has to be that, no, one is better and the other one sucks instead of, no, they're both great players. It's become very political in nature, hasn't it? It's like it's a running campaign. So you got to, all right, this message was presented by the shooting coach of Joel Embiid, and here is why Nicole Jokic sucks. It's a lot of this debate stuff. Uh, That's what I really point to. I think debate shows have really killed sports conversation because Mm. in order to prop somebody up, you have to tear somebody down. I don't subscribe to that. I think Jokic is great. I think Embiid is great. The theory that I subscribe to, and this is kind of like professional wrestling-esque of me because I think uh, the goal in some way, shape, or form should be to build superstars. If it's a close call between a guy that's won an MVP and a guy that hasn't, I think you give it to the guy that hasn't so you can say, hey, we got a lot more MVPs in our league than uh, than we did before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lean Embiid in that, but I agree with you. I don't think it's necessary to tear down another guy's performance in order to lift yours up. And I think I think it's it's more impressive, to be honest, when you can lift both guys up, but then say, this is why my guy is still better. I think that actually proves a point more than being like, yeah, so-and-so sucks, but my guy doesn't. I, I complete. I completely agree, and, and I, I think you're. You, that's how we should. Like, you can't say you're a basketball fan and not be able to appreciate how incredible Jokic is and what he's done this year. Mm-hmm. And, and same thing for Giannis. Like before the last few weeks, I thought Giannis was probably actually the most deserving. He had his best statistical career that he's ever had. Um, with that being said, who do you have as the MVP right now? I have Embiid. I've had Embiid for probably the past couple of months. I see the thing. I don't really dive like super crazy deep into like these advanced analytic things. I try to watch Denver as much as I can with league pass. And I try and watch Philly as much as I can. Uh, But I've been, I've been leading Embiid for the past couple of weeks to a couple of months now. So I'm still rocking with him. Yeah. I I think the fact that he kind of got out of that little slump that he had when Harden first got there and then basically went Mm -hmm. right back to being just as dominant as he was before. And the fact that he's played pretty much the whole season, the only games he's really missed this year have been a couple for rest. And then he had COVID stuff at the very beginning of the year. I think, I think it should go to Embiid. And it's funny because a lot of people do the, and this is what the NBA starts like, all right, your turn for the MVP. All right, your turn for the MVP. All right, your turn for the MVP, (laughs) right? But I also think there's validity to that. I also think it makes the league more interesting, right? And I, but if it went to Giannis, Jokic, or Embiid, I'd say, yeah, that makes sense. You know, just because Jokic has an insane VORP and half the basketball fans don't know what that means doesn't mean that it's not a viable (laughs) statistic and good justification for why he should be there. Um, Have you watched any of the Masters yet today? Uh, I've been paying attention to Tiger because I bet that Tiger was going to make the cut. I don't bet against Tiger Woods. And I did throw, I think I threw a dollar on him winning the whole thing. I did too. <laughs> because YOLO. I mean, like I did, I did a $1 just, just a bet dollar, right? on Tiger. Yeah. I saved <laughs> so up if it all, cashes out, I'm good. I saved up all of my football winnings and just spent them all on the Masters because betting the Masters is my favorite thing. Um, who, right. do you got, who do you have winning? Who do you think is going to win the Masters? Oh, I don't know. I mean, who, who are the favorites? I'm not a big enough golf guy to give like a real educated answer. That's why I bet Tiger. I think I did put another bet down on, on Cam Smith. Was light. Cam Smith, was. Smith finished like six under today in his first round. He's playing incredible golf. Uh, and then you're going to look at, you know, John Rahm, JT, uh, Dustin Johnson has been lighting it up too, as we have the middle of the first round kind of going on in the background here, but Tiger's the story. It's, it's been phenomenal. Um, all right, my friend. Yeah, remember when people thought he would never play again? 
they jump to those conclusions. Oh, he might die. Like, no, we know he's alive. He might never walk again. A year and three months removed from a horrific car crash. And the dude just went one under in the first round of the Masters and is currently in the top 10. That is... He's he's Tiger. It's Tiger fucking Woods, man. It's Tiger fucking Woods. I mean, what do you expect? Right. He's the best. He's the GOAT. Um, Appreciate your time, man. I know you got to get rolling. And uh, we got to get you on again uh, around draft time. Do a little more breakdown stuff. But I appreciate you coming on. Denton Day, the Denton Day show. And uh, what's your Twitter handle for us? Is just at Denton Day. Uh, there's a V there. You know, I've been working at hard v, to get Denton at Day. Denton, but Ooh. at Denton is taken by somebody. I don't know who, but somebody has that. So I got to either Denton? put a hit out or like bribe them. Read option listeners, spam at Denton on Twitter. Just harass him <laughs> and say, you're not the real Denton. We know who the real Denton is. He was on the podcast um, and we completed the home and home. I was on your pod couple weeks ago had a great time and now uh, we got you back on the read option so thank you my friend appreciate your time as always absolutely always fun my friend huge shout out to my man denton day cannot thank him enough for uh his time hopping on for 30 minutes he's just the first of many interviews coming your way so we hope that you like that we hope that you like more of that shout out to uh scotty who's heading up to new york this weekend safe travels to you my man Vito having a little mental health day for himself my man is burnt out and Totally understandable. But all three of us will be back on Tuesday recapping the Masters. We will have a Masters champion. Will it be Tiger Woods? Probably not, but you never know. Maybe it will be. Uh, We're going to break down everything from the Masters over the weekend. And the last thing I'll leave you on here, two more coaches have thrown their name into the Brian Flores ring here in that lawsuit. And uh, Mike Malarkey even came out with a statement Uh, And at least he said something on a podcast that has kind of somewhat gone viral um, talking about his role in getting that Tennessee Titans job back in 2016. And he knew the whole time that they were ignoring the Rooney rule that they told him he was going to be the head coach before they even interviewed anybody and that he had stayed silent. He talked about how he regretted it. Um, Needless to say, there is a lot more to come with that. And if you think that story is going away, it's not. And if you think it's gotten as big as it's going to get, it's going to get a lot bigger. It's a huge deal. It's a huge story, as it should, as it should. So that's all we got on the pod today. Nice, sweet, to the point. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy the Masters, Team Tiger Woods. Go Big Cat. And uh, we'll we'll get back to you on next week. Episode number two on YouTube. Shouts to everyone who's uh, who's downloaded and, and listened to us on the podcast and, and shouts to everyone who celebrated and reached out for the 100th episode. That was wonderful. We thank you. We love you. We support you all because you guys support us. So have a wonderful weekend. We will talk to you guys next week. And as always, take it easy, everybody.